Well, thank you for that warm introduction. I appreciate it, Dave. A number of people asked me if I was nervous about speaking this morning. I said, you know, I'm really not nervous about it. What concerns me is knowing that there are about 20 guys out in this audience who have had me for sermon prep who are probably thinking in the back of their mind, physician, heal thyself. You know, they're, they're sort of concerned about that. I really appreciate having the opportunity to speak to you this morning, and I want to speak on a subject that absolutely impassions my heart. It's the entire reason that I am at Master's College. It's a subject that I think needs to be preached today. It needs to be taught in the classroom and communicated to you as students. During my last year of seminary, I had the privilege of sitting down with one of the top men in evangelicalism, one of my professors. There were several students that were sitting together around a coffee table asking this man questions about ministry. What can we anticipate? What will it be like to be out there? And each of us would take our our questions and put it to him. And one student asked a question. I wished it was me, but it wasn't. One student asked him and said, Prof, i got a question for you. What is the greatest need in the church today? When we consider everything in the church worldwide, what is the greatest need? And I'll never forget his response. It stuck and it burned in my mind. He looked over the top of his glasses and said to us, Gentlemen, the most important need in the church today is for leadership. Folks, we're in a leadership crisis. And this morning I want to speak to you on the subject of leadership. As we look around in the church today, if you travel at all like I do, you see various churches, you would very quickly realize the church of Jesus Christ is in a crisis, and it's a leadership crisis. In 1989, I counted 15 men from students like yourselves that came to me, 15 men that disqualified themselves from ministry for various reasons. As I've seen this year, I quit keeping count because, quite honestly, it got depressing. As I travel around to various churches, they say, you know, well, it's the people. It's always the people. I always hear about the congregations and the problems with the congregations. Quite honestly, it's the leadership. As I stand here before you today, I know of three churches that are in a lot of trouble because of leadership. It's not just the church. We could go into the education dimension and look in our education circles and see problems in leadership. As I consider um, reading and I look through the various journals that I read related to education, it's always the same thing. It's the students. You know, all the students are nothing but a bunch of Nintendo-aholics. You know, they don't have any brains. They've got brains like walnuts and eyes like cantaloupes from staring at Gilligan's Island reruns. You know, it's always the students. We never stop to think, well, maybe it's us as teachers. Maybe we're not doing our job right. Maybe we're not being the leaders we need to be. We could go to the business world and look in the business world and see in there that there are many problems. As businesses are closing down at just a tremendous rate. And, of course, politics. How many? I won't ask for you to raise your hand, but how many of you trust a politician? I know why you're laughing. I sure wouldn't. We have a leadership crisis in our political dimension. And so the subject that I come to today of leadership is absolutely critical. And as I look at you as the next generation of leadership, what I want to say to you today is very important in my eyes, and I hope it will be in yours as well. There are many passages that I could take you to. I want to take you to one special one today. And as we consider the subject of leadership and consider it as an important topic to be discussed today, the begging question that we have to answer this morning is what are the marks of a leader? What are those qualities which are essential if you and I are to be leaders for the next generation? And if you have your Bibles, I invite you to take and turn with me, if you will please, to 1 Samuel 17. 
1 Samuel chapter 17. There are many passages in the Bible that I could take you to to talk about the subject of leadership. We could take you, obviously, to 1 Timothy 3, talk about the qualities and the qualifications of an elder. We could look at Titus chapter 1. We could look at 1 Peter 5. There's a number of passages that deal with the subject of leadership. But one of my favorites is found here in a very, very familiar story, 1 Samuel 17. 1 Samuel 17. Many of you are familiar with it. You've seen it on the famous flannel graph that Doug Bookman talked about last Monday. It's the story of David and Goliath. And let me just orient you, because I'm sure it's been a while since many of you studied this. You may have studied it like I did in Sunday school as a kid. Let me just talk a little bit about it, introduce you to the, to the subject here. 1 Samuel 17. Beginning in verse 1 and running through verse 11, we are introduced to the situation facing the nation of Israel. They had a problem. And as you look with me at chapter 17, verse 1, notice how it begins. Now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle, and they were gathered at Sukkot, which belongs to Judah. And they camped between Sukkot and Azekah in Ephes Damim. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and camped in the valley of Elah and drew up in battle array to encounter the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on the mountain on one side while Israel stood on the mountain on the other side with the valley between them. Now let me draw this picture in your, in your thinking here. If you traveled over to the valley of Elah today, it's somewhat of an elbow-shaped valley. In fact, when we go over there with our trips, we visit Tel Azekah, we recount the story from, from this site. On one side of the hill, you had the Israelites. On the other side, you had the army of the Philistines. Now, from these vantage points, the armies could look across the valley at each other and know when they're getting ready to come to battle. It was a good way to sort of keep your eye on one another. And so we have the, the picture drawn here for us of the two opposing armies looking at each other across this valley that's about as wide as Placerita Canyon, to give you an idea. So if you can imagine the Philistines on one side, the Israelites on the other, with this big open valley in between. Verse 4. Then a champion came out from the armies of the Philistines named Goliath from Gath, whose height was six cubits in a span. Now, to translate that into modern terms, and scholars vary on the size of the cubit, this person was about nine foot six inches tall. This guy was huge. In fact, if the raiders had him as a nose tackle, they might not have done so bad last Sunday. All right? This guy was huge. Look at verse 5. And he had a bronze helmet on his head, and he was clothed with scale armor, which weighed 5,000 shekels of bronze. Now, again, we're not exactly sure on the dimensions and the sizes here, but his armor, just his armor, weighed around 125 pounds. That's what some of you weigh soaking wet. 125-pound armor. Follow along. Verse 6. He also had bronze greaves on his legs and a bronze javelin slung between his shoulders. And the shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and the head of the spear weighed 600 shekels of iron. Just the head of his spear weighed around 15 pounds. Just the head of the spear. Notice verse 8. Actually, back up verse 7. His shield carrier also walked before him, and he stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel and said to them, Why do you come out to drop in battle array? Am I not a Philistine and you the servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will become your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall become our servants and serve us. Verse 10, again the Philistines said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. I want you to picture it. Here comes Goliath, this nine foot six inch monster, walks down the side of the hill, looks over at Israel and says, Hey Israel, 
Look, we don't need to fight it out. There's no reason to go to battle at all. You just pick your best man, have him come down and fight us. Fight me. If I win, we as Philistines will serve you. But if you win, or if, if I win, you serve us. Let's save a lot of bloodshed. We could, we could resolve this, just two of us. Now take a look, if you will, at verse 11 to get a picture of what's happening. When Saul and Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. The English language doesn't quite give you the flavor of what's happening here. These people were absolutely terrified. From the king all the way down, there is a terror that's being given here. Now, in verse 12, interesting thing happens. Look with me, if you will. In verse 12, just quickly, let's run through this. We're introduced, in contrast to Goliath and the situation the nation is facing, we're introduced to David. Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this this morning. It goes through here in verses 12 and 13, gives us a little background about David. We're told that he was the youngest in his family. Verse 14, three of the older brothers were with Saul at the Valley of Elah to fight. Verse 15, we're told that David went back and forth from Saul to tend his father's flocks at Bethlehem. He was a shepherd. Verse 16, we are told that the Philistine came forward morning and evening for 40 days and took his stand. Now, folks, listen. I want you to understand what this would have been like for the nation of Israel. For 40 days, people, that's over a month, this person came down and taunted Israel. Taunted them. Could you imagine how that would demoralize the nation? Imagine what it would be like, you're the king, you're Saul, for 40 days having this person come down and taunt you and not doing a single thing about it. I venture to say that the nation of Israel at this point was absolutely demoralized. And with that as a backdrop, we're introduced to first verse 17 where the story actually begins and where we'll pick it up this morning. Then Jesse said to David his son, Take now for your brothers an ephah of this roasted grain and these ten loaves and run to the camp to your brothers. Bring also these ten cuts of cheese to the commander of their thousands and look into the welfare of your brothers and bring back news of them. For Saul and they and all of the men of Israel, notice where the men are, I think you need to make note of that, the men of Israel are in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. So what does David do? He's given an order by his father. He says, David, I want you to go to the battle line, find out how your brothers are doing, take them in some supplies, and bring back news of their welfare. And folks, I would venture to say at this point that quite honestly, it wasn't the macho thing to be a shepherd. The men were all at the camp. I mean, they were all ready for fighting. But here's David, a shepherd who is trustworthy, who is obedient to his father, who is a servant. And with that as a backdrop, as we come to our study today of leadership, the first mark that I want to communicate to you is the mark of character. Here is David, and I could develop this going back through Samuel. Here is David showing the character that he has of being faithful to his father, to be trustworthy, to be obedient. He's not into this macho thing. He's not in the army. He's taking care of sheep. And everything that I'm going to say to you this morning is built around a foundation of character. We must understand that character is what's important. It's the bottom line. Many of you remember in 1988, during the presidential elections, Gary Hart and Joseph Biden were both disqualified. And they came back, they both said, look, character is not important for leadership. And I'm here to tell you this morning, it is absolutely critical. It is foundational. We must be people of character. And the first mark of leadership is character. Now, we have a lot of leaders that are characters, honestly. 
I think you understand what I mean. It begins with character. Here is David, faithful, trustworthy, obedient, doing a task, being faithful to that task, and demonstrating character. Okay, let's pick up the story in verse 20, and we'll build from here. So David arose early in the morning and left the flock with the keeper and took the supplies and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the circle of the camp while the army was going out in battle array, shouting the war cry. And the Israel and the Philistines drew up in battle array, army against army. Basically, what would happen is this. One of the armies was looking across at the other army. They noticed they're getting ready to fight. So the other army would get prepared. Probably the Israelites were putting on their, their armament. They're getting ready. The Philistines are looking across saying, hey, 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 look here. There they go. They're getting ready to fight. So the Philistines start putting their armor on, and they get ready. David comes into the situation. He drops his baggage with the baggage keeper and runs on into the front line to meet his brothers and greet his brothers before the battle begins. Now let's pick it up in verse 22. Then David left his baggage in the care of the baggage keeper and ran to the battle line and entered in in order to greet his brothers. Okay, now notice verse 23. As he was talking with them, behold, or literally the Hebrew word here is look. Okay, look. The champion, the Philistine from Gath named Goliath, was coming from the army of the Philistines, and he spoke these same words, and David heard them. I can imagine the Philistines are noticing the armies of Israel getting ready. They're saying, oh, here they go. Goliath, come on over here. Why don't you go down and taunt them a little bit? Cool them off a little. They look like they're wanting to fight. So why don't you just go down there and intimidate them a little? And so down comes Goliath, and once again he makes his, his statement to the people of Israel, come on, let's fight. Let's go at it. And this time, David hears it. Look, if you will, verse 23, the bottom section. And he spoke these same words. We saw those in the first part of the chapter. And David heard them. And I want you to look at verse 24. When all of the men, the men of Israel, saw the man, they fled from him and were greatly afraid. Absolutely terrified. Here they are getting ready to fight. Goliath comes out and they turn tail and run. Folks, it's not a pretty situation. I want you to underscore verse 24, because I'm going to come back to that in a little bit. Here is a nation that is absolutely terrified. It is in crisis. There is no leadership at this point. Nobody is standing up and taking care of it. And I submit to you this. If you have a person who is marked by character, the second mark of a leader always follows, and that is the mark of concern. If we are people of character, we will be people of concern. And look, if you will, verse 24. 25. And the men of Israel said, have you seen this man who is coming up? I can imagine David saying, you can't miss this guy. Look at the size of him, glistening in this bronze in the sunlight. Have you seen him? Look what the people say. Surely he is coming up to defy Israel. They know what he's doing. And it will be that the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. In other words, he was going to be given three things. As you can see in the text, he would be given great riches. The king would enrich him. He would be given the king's daughter, which would be a, just a shoe-in to royalty. And his house would be free. He'd be exempt from public service from taxation. And the people are walking around going, boy, if somebody could take care of this problem, they'd be rich. They'd be set for life. Well, look what happens in verse 26. Then David spoke to the men who were standing by him, saying, What will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should taunt the armies of the living God? 
Here is a leader that is exhibiting concern, and out of character comes concern. And he says to the people, look, we've got a problem. What is being done about this problem? And I submit to you this, folks, that if you're going to be a leader, you've got to be concerned. We as leaders cannot speak about issues. We must speak to issues. And David stands up and says, what's being done about this? And I want you to notice the situation. Look at verse 27. And the people answered him in accord with this word, saying, Thus it will be done for the man who kills him. I want you to notice with me the situation here. David's going around the camp saying, We've got a problem, folks. We need to take care of this problem. The men of Israel are walking around going, Boy, you know, it, the person that does this is just going to be rich. The person that does this is just going to be rich. And they're walking around. They're not doing anything. What a pathetic situation. And we come down to verse 28. And this is the third mark of a leader. I want you to notice this. Now Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger burned against David. You get the, get the picture here? His anger burned against David. He was ticked. Burned against David, and he said, Why have you come down? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? You get the sarcasm in his voice? Come on, David, you're a shepherd, man. You don't know anything. What are you doing around here? Notice what Eliab says. He says, I know your insolence and the wickedness of your heart, for you have come down in order to see the battle. Folks, the third mark of a leader. If you have a person who is a person of character, who is a person of concern, they're usually just a step away from the third point, which is conflict. A person of conflict. You talk to anybody that has been in leadership any length of time at all, and if you're going to be in leadership, you must be willing to face conflict. I'm amazed at how many people, when it comes to leadership, back away from leadership because they're unwilling to face the heat of it. And David gets it from his own brother. Third mark of a leader, the mark of conflict. And notice with me what David says, verse 29. But David said, what have I done now? Was it not just a question? Then he turned away, that is, David turned away from him to another and said the same thing. In other words, what are we going to do about this problem, gentlemen? This person is reproaching Israel. He's... He's reviling the God of Israel. And look at the situation, verse 30. David goes on to try to get his question answered. The men of Israel are saying the same thing as before. They're walking around saying, well, what are we going to do? This person's going to, you know, David's trying to get, get resolution. The, the men of Israel are saying, well, whoever takes care of this problem is going to be rich. But they're not doing anything. And that brings us down to verse 31. Notice verse 31. When the words which David spoke were heard, they told him to Saul, and he sent for him. Word got around the camp. Here's David. He's going around. He's saying, we've got a problem here. So Saul sends for him. And I'll tell you, folks, when I get to heaven, I'm going to sit down in the video library of heaven, so to speak. And I want to look. I want to see this, this scene. I would love to see it. You can imagine Saul sending for David. Around Saul, the mightiest men of Israel, the warriors, the cream of the crop. And in comes this shepherd. And look what happens in verse 32. David says to Saul, let no man's heart fail on account of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. I can imagine what the men of Israel said. <laughs> You've got to be kidding me. You? You're a kid. You can't do it. But notice what David says. Look at verse 33. Then Saul said to David, You're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you're but a youth. And he's been a warrior from his youth. And I love David's response. 
Look at it with me. Verse 34. David said to Saul, your servant was tending his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and took a lamb from the flock, I went out after him and attacked him and rescued it from his mouth. And when he rose up against me, I seized him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, since he has taunted the armies of the living God. And notice verse 37, folks, because it's going to be our next mark. And David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. Folks, if you've got a person who has character, and you have a person who has concern, and you have a person that is seasoned by conflict, it is inevitable that person will be a person of confidence. And you see in David that confidence. And notice his confidence has substance. His confidence is in God. And he says, the Lord will deliver me. The rest of the army should have known that. And David says, my God will deliver me. The fourth mark of a leader is the mark of confidence. A leader is confident in who his God is. Seasoned by conflict. Demonstrating concern. A person of character. Follow along. Verse 37, Paul said, or excuse me, Saul says, jumping in the New Testament here, Saul said to David, go and may the Lord be with you. I imagine it was something like this. Saul was saying to him, go and may the Lord be with you. Whew, this isn't going to be pretty what he's going to do to this guy. I love verse 38. I mean, I, again, when I get to heaven, I could sit down in the video library of heaven. I want to see this. Then Saul clothed David with his garments and put a bronze helmet on his head. And he clothed him with armor. Notice verse 39. And David girded his sword over his armor and tried to walk. <laughs> Here's David. He puts on it. You know, Saul agrees. Okay, you're going to go to battle. At least we need to dress you up. So they put on the battle armament. David takes a few steps. He's tripping over everything and says, look, verse 39. I've not tested these. I'm taking them off. And you can imagine in the presence of all of these mighty men of Israel, the, the, the cream of the warriors. Here they are looking at this shepherd going, this kid's nuts. He puts on all this armament, tries to walk. He's tripping over the sword, takes it all off and says, I've not used these. I can't go with them. Now, if you're one of those chief warriors, you're going to be thinking, oh, man, I can't believe he's going to do this. This ain't going to be pretty, folks. And notice what David does. You're all familiar with it. Verse 39, he took them off, as it says. I've not tested these. Verse 40, and he took his stick in his hand and chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook and put them in his shepherd's bag, which he had, even in his pouch, and his sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. Now, let me just kind of give you a little understanding of what's happening here. Here is David. He's agreed to go fight. He takes off all of this armament and picks up the tools that he knows, the tools of a shepherd, the stick and the sling. Now, to give you an idea of what this was like, a, a, a sling stone... You know, we have the image that it was sort of a little fork thing that you'd pull back and go twink like that, and that was the way it worked. Well, that's not the way it was. These stones, to give you an idea of the size, were, were about uh, the equivalent of a tennis ball. They're pretty good-sized stones. And what the, what the shepherd would do was take a leather pouch about the size of my hand, put that tennis ball-sized stone in it. It would have a series of slings, and, of course, he would turn it like this and get it going, and then at the right time release the rock out of it. A little bit different than the way we do it. Even today, if you watch the news with everything that's happening in Israel, you'll notice that the Palestinians, when they confront the Israeli soldiers, many times use that same method. They'll sling a stone like this and throw it at the Israeli soldiers. And so David collects these five stones, puts them in his pouch, and walks on to meet the Philistines. Now, again, I'd love to see this. I'd love to be sitting in the camp of the Philistines to watch this. 
Here's Goliath sitting up there with his, with his shield bearer saying, well, what do you think? You think we're going to get one today? Think somebody's going to come out? It's been 40 days now. He says, nah, probably not. There's just some kid down there collecting rocks in the brook. And all of a sudden, they notice that kid starts approaching them. And I can imagine the shield bearer looking over at Goliath and nudging him. Hey, Goliath, check it out, man. We got one coming. Goliath starts licking his chops going, ho, ho, battle time. Notice, if you will, verse 41. Then the Philistine came on and approached David with the shield bearer in front of him. When the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth and ruddy with a handsome appearance. Modern translation, he was a mama's boy. Here's Goliath, all right? Here's Goliath, the best warrior in the Philistine camp. He comes out, finally gets to fight somebody. Here's David, a mama's boy. Now, I don't know about you, but at this point, Goliath would have been very ticked. These people think I am, that they're going to send me a kid to fight. And notice Goliath's response, verse 43. And the Philistine said to David, am I a dog that you come with to me with sticks? In other words, do you think you're just going to chase me off with a stick like a dog? Is that who you think I am? Notice what he does. And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Verse 44, the Philistine also said to David, come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the sky and the beasts of the field. In other words, David, I'm going to make you bird feed. You're just going to be fodder laying out here. About that time, folks, many of us would probably sit there and think, well, you know, maybe we should negotiate this a little bit. Um, you know, you get this guy that's nine foot six inches with all this bronze armor glistening with this huge, huge breastplate on in front of him. Uh, you know, at that point, folks, it'd be quite scary. And you can imagine all of the camp of Israel are standing up there looking down at David, just probably shaking their head going, oh, this isn't going to be pretty. The Philistines are going, oh, man, this is cake. Look at that kid. And I want you to notice David's response. Look with me, if you will. Verse 45, Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword, a spear, and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, Yahweh Sabaoth in Hebrew, the highest name, the covenant name of God. He says, The God of the armies of Israel whom you have taunted, this day the Lord will deliver you up into my hands, and I will strike you down and remove your head from you, and I will give the dead bodies of the army of the Philistines this day to the birds of the sky and the wild beasts of the earth, that all of the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all of this assembly may know that the Lord does not deliver by sword or by spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. Folks, the fifth mark of a leader is the mark of conviction. Here is David standing in front of this massive assembly saying, Folks, I want you to understand something. This battle is not our battle, it is God's battle. And I look at this passage and to me it just, just exudes conviction. David believes this. And folks, if you have a person that is marked by character, by concern, by conflict, who is an individual of confidence and has conviction, things get done. I want you to observe several things in the passage. Look back at it with me. First, David says, if you look at verse 46, David says, I'm going to strike you down, Goliath. But he also says, I'm going to strike down the dead bodies of the army of the Philistines. I love this. Here's David. He's saying, you know, Goliath, you're dead. But David doesn't stop there. He says, I'm going to go right through you, Goliath. And I'm going to go up the hill to those Philistines up there, and you guys are dead. Here's a person with tremendous amount of conviction. Goliath, I'm going to cut your head off, and then I'm going after your friends. Notice what else he says. Interesting point. 
verse, verse 46, he tells of the dead bodies of the army of, of the Philistines. Verse 47, he says, And all of this assembly may know that the Lord does not deliver by sword or by spear. Now, folks, when he says this entire assembly, I honestly believe that David is talking to both the Israelites and the Philistines. He's looking at the Philistines saying, You guys have got something fundamentally wrong. You don't understand who the God of Israel is. And he looks over at the, the Israelis and say, you know, you don't understand who our God is. This whole assembly needs to know who our God is. And that brings us down to the very familiar passage, if you will. Look at verse 48. Then it happened, when the Philistine rose and came and drew near to meet David, that David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. Now, folks, if you have a person of character and a person that is concerned, and you have a person that is seasoned by conflict, and a person that demonstrates confidence in who his God is, and that confidence leads to conviction, that this person has strong conviction, the sixth mark of a leader is the mark of courage. I've had many people ask me, how can I have more courage? It's very simple. You want to have more courage? Develop your conviction. Develop your conviction. There comes a point when a leader must fish or cut bait, so to speak. And David and Goliath could argue back and forth about whose God was greater, the God of the Philistines or the God of Israel. And it comes down to the point where he says, it's time to fight. And David demonstrates that courage. Notice, if you will, again, look at verse 48. Goliath gets up. I can imagine Goliath saying, I've had enough of this. He approaches David. David runs quickly. I mean, David doesn't hesitate. He goes right into the battle. Runs quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand into his bag, took from it a stone, slung it, and struck the Philistine on his forehead. And the stone sank into his forehead so that he fell on his face to the ground. And I, could just, I'm gonna, I can't wait to see this scene when I get to heaven. Here's David. You know, the armies are watching them approach each other. David starts slinging that stone wraps it around a few times, lets it fly, and hits Goliath right between the eyes with that tennis ball-sized stone. Goliath reels back and falls down. I could imagine the Philistine army, they're going, he did it. And on the other side, the Israelites are going, he did it. You know? Look at that, it's been done. David, only having a, a sling and a, a stick, decides, well, I need to finish the job. Look at verse 50. Thus David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone, and he struck the Philistine and killed him, but there was no sword in David's hand. David didn't have a sword. Remember, he took it off with Saul. So what does he do? Verse 51, then David ran and stood over the Philistine, took his sword. I could see him walking up to Goliath. Excuse me, may I borrow this? Out comes the sword. Off goes the head. Verse 51, he cuts his head off. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. Now, folks, that leads me to my last mark this morning. If you have a person of character and a person of concern a person that is seasoned by conflict and willing to face conflict, a person of confidence in who their God is, a person that has forged conviction and believes that God can do it, and a person that takes that conviction and acts upon it courageously, you have a person, number seven, who is a person of, that is contagious. Here is a person that is able to motivate those unmotivated troops. Look at, you will, if you will, verse 52. And the men of Israel and Judah arose and shouted and pursued the Philistines as far as the valley and to the gates of Ekron. 
And the slain Philistines lay along the way to Sha'arim, even to Gath, and to Ekron. Folks, these were the same men, back in verse 24, that were petrified by fear. And David takes these men, and by example, motivates them to chase the Philistines all the way back to their capital cities. Here is David, he gets the troops, he motivates them. He says, let's go, men. Let's take them out. If you were to travel over to Israel today, the Valley of Elah, uh, Sukkot and Azekah, where the Philistine encampment is, if you were to go over the other side of the hill and drop down on the coastal plain, the cities of Gath and Ekron are just right over the hill from this. So they basically chase the men up and over the hill, down into their own cities. The same men that were absolutely petrified are now being led, motivated, and charging forward. And the last mark of a leader is the mark of being contagious. You can infect those around you and get them moving in the direction they need to move. I have said it many times in my classes, you cannot be a leader by pushing. You must be a leader by example. I mean, just think of the word lead. We need to be in front. And many times, I've said it before, in the churches today, we have people that are trying to push instead of lead. As we come down to the end of the story here, we could look at it in verse 53 and wrap it up. And the sons of Israel returned from chasing the Philistines and plundered their camps. Then David took the Philistines' head and brought it to Jerusalem and put his weapons in his tent. I love this story. I love this story because it communicates to me a courage, a conviction, a character, an individual that has the marks of leadership that many of us aspire for. As I look around in this audience today, many of you are here at Master's College because you are committed to being leaders, either in the ministry, in the marketplace, in education, in politics, a number of fields. This school sits in a very strategic position. We are here to build leaders. We want you to be leaders. And we need to be leaders that are marked by concern, by character. We need to be people that are willing to stand up in conflict. We need to be people of confidence in who our God is. We need to be people of conviction. We need to be courageous based upon those convictions. And we must be contagious, leading by example. And if you'll do that, you will be the leader that God wants you to be. Let's close in a word of prayer.